Hey there, welcome back to the Beauty Business Game Changer Podcast. I wanted to let you know that the Salon Business Masterclass is coming up real soon and I want to invite you to join me. Do not miss out on this live class if you are looking to gain clarity of your dream salon and eliminate the overwhelming disorganized thoughts of how to start a business. I will be pulling back the curtain to the pros and cons of business ownership, learn the most important things to do before you open your doors, how to attract more clients, and reasons why 75% of salons fail within the first five years and how to avoid them so that you can scale your business faster and easier. Whether you're thinking about opening up the salon or already signed a lease, join this class to gain better understanding of what it takes to operate a successful salon business. Salon Business Masterclass, you can register here and I will leave the link in the show notes. Welcome back to the Beauty Business Game Changer Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Alvarez. You guys, I am really excited to introduce my new friend and this girl I've been stalking on Instagram. And you will be stalking her too after you listen to her and all her fun things that she has to share. But she is a licensed cosmetologist, a fashion color specialist, a pulp riot educator, and a salon owner. You guys, I cannot wait for you to meet my special guest, Meg Gilbert. Welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so happy to be here today. This is my first ever podcast. I'm so excited. I'm I'm like so surprised about that because you were just like so bubbly, so outgoing, so fun. Like you guys, you have to follow her on Instagram at mermeg.hair and she's just so entertaining. I seriously have been stalking your reels and I'm like dying laughing. <laughs> We all got to uh, laugh of, during these hard times. <laughs> oh, I love it. One of my favorites, I was busting up laughing. My husband's always like, what are you doing over there watching these videos? Is the one where you're asking if you're the loud one in the salon. Yes, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it. Okay, Meg, um, I, let's talk about you and how you got started into this industry. Yes. Yeah, so I was always like the buddy growing up that did everybody's hair and makeup for like dances or whatever. Like I turned my parents master bathroom into like a mini salon from like, I want to say I was 14 or 15 the first time I did it. And so it was never a question whether I was going to go to hair school or not. It's always what I loved. I started my Instagram account. It was beauty by Meg at the time, but I started that when I was like 16 years old, I think, just posting updos and, and really terrible nail art now that I look back, back at it. And so I graduated high school a semester early and I started at the Aveda Fredericks Institute here in Cincinnati like a week later. So I was freshly wow. 18 and I busted through the program and then I started at what at the time was the number one salon in Cincinnati as an apprentice. And I ended up being like a full-time stylist shortly after it was like a six month time. And I really busted my butt on Instagram, trying to build my clientele and it helped me so much. So I kind of fell in love with the social media side of this job. I think it's really like a fun challenge and a really cool way to meet new people. So after I had been at that salon for about two and a half years, I started my salon suite with my hair bestie Brenna she's at blonding by b on instagram and we were there for a little over 
two years, two and a half years. And that's when I opened my salon, Olive and Ivy Salon, which currently is a booth rental salon, but we are expanding. So in 2022, we will have some employees and it'll be like a training salon set up for new baby stylists right out of hair school. Um, other than being a salon owner and working behind the chair, I also am an educator for Pulp Riot. So I do classes and I also am an ambassador for Air Professional. Amazing. And, and this has all happened for you in six years? Yep. Six, seven, eight. So, Six oh my God. <laughs> That's incredible. I, I have been in this industry since 2002 as a licensed cosmetologist and, and yeah, I feel behind now, Meg. No. <laughs> I'm teasing. Every, everybody's got their own walk, their own journey in this yes. career. And that's like the cool thing about it. And I think it's so I, it's to your advantage that there is social media now, like yes. <laughs> before, before that, you know, like when I graduated beauty school, like I literally pound the payment pavement, I would go like door to door and I would hang up my cards at the grocery stores. And, you know, now that you've, you know, captivated an audience on social media, I mean, that's really what it takes. And, and, don't you think like in the very beginning, the hardest part is just catching that momentum to build that clientele? Yes. It's so hard. And like, I, I would say I have no referrals anymore. Like none of my clients want to refer anybody to me because they don't want to lose their appointment on the books. So like Instagram has been such a powerful, powerful tool for me. But I would say like with posting, the main thing is like knowing who your target audience is and knowing who your demographic is so that you can draw those people in. Like I never had to go around and like post my business card on a bulletin board or like go walk around the mall or bars. Like you hear salon owners say that's like how you build your clientele. I like I was, I was using Instagram as my like small community. Like if there was a really cute coffee shop, I would go on and see who interacted on their pages and literally find my dream client. So I did the same thing just on, on my thumbs instead of on my feet, (laughs) on my phone. (laughs) I think that's so smart. And I'm curious to know, like, did you always know, like on social media, Like, I feel like when I look at you, I'm like, she knows who she is. She knows (laughs) who her target market is. Like you are just totally in your element. Do you feel like you've always been that way? Or did that, did that, did you learn that? Uh, I definitely took like a good handful of social media classes. When I first became a stylist, I had gone to a Euphora hair convention and there was a, a lot of social media training. And I also took a few like webinars with Hairbrained that were social media based. And it was back in the day when, um, oh shoot, there used to be an app that is so similar to uh, Clubhouse Periscope. Is that what it was called? Yeah. So Uh like I watched a lot of Rebecca Taylor and Guy Tang on Periscope and like learned a little bit about social media through that as well. But I would say, yeah, like I've always had a target demographic or like an audience that I knew I was speaking to, but it's changed so many times throughout the year. I love like rebranding. I think it's super fun and exciting and that boosts your account every time you like have a change. 
So like my target demographic or audience used to be clients. And now I like, I'm trying to find my niche with hairdressers, which right now I'm talking a lot about like toxic salon environments or like bad salon experiences and like what we can do to further like change those environments into a positive, happy work environment. I, I think that is incredible. And I want to jump into that conversation here in a little bit. Yeah. Um, how did you define like your, your niche, your specialty? Cause you're, you're a pulp riot. You're a fashion color specialist, really into the pulp riot. And, um, you guys, once you see her, uh, Instagram page, if you don't know her already, she's got this gorgeous mermaid hair. (laughs) (laughs) It's beautiful. I love it. It's such a striking color um, for you. and, And just in general, um, yeah. How did, how did, like, did you always have like a love and passion for the fashion colors and, and bold reds and coppers and. Yeah. So I, I think that I've always loved those things, but I decided that I really wanted to only do those things because I feel like anybody or not anybody, everybody is doing blonding and like, it's such like a oversaturated uh, thing on Instagram. And so one, like the fashion colors and vivid colors set me apart a little bit from other stylists that I was working with. Like I would say in Cincinnati fashion colors uh, aren't done by every stylist that a lot of people are scared of them. So like, I felt like confident in my ability to do them. And so I ran with that a little bit, but Blonding, I have always had a struggle with blonding because it's like naked hair and satisfying a client with um, like whatever shade of blonde they're going for or like maintenance and stuff. It's really hard to have the expectations set with blonding clients. I feel like my fashion color clients are so easygoing and like happy with whatever they walk out the door with. And I don't have to worry about the the naked cuticle <laughs> to get it all blonde. <laughs> so I think part of me loving fashion color is because I'm good at it and it's different and it's fun for me, but also because the alternative I'm not in love with. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. You're lucky you're not in my town. Everyone's blonde and they still see yellow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm tired of hearing that. <laughs> Don't be yellow. Hair trend to die. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Me too. Me too. I love that. And I think that's so important too. Like once you, once you like find like your specialty, especially like you seem to be super passionate about it. Like you love it. It excites you. Yeah. And that, that to me, I think really helps to prevent burnout. Right. Cause like, if you're doing something that you're like, I really don't like this. I mean, at the end of the day, all you kind of feel like is kind of pissed off, right? Oh, I had to do this many haircuts or perms or yep. whatever you're doing. Yep. Right? I feel like I don't do any standalone haircuts anymore. I have like three men's cuts. I don't want to do them. I like, I only post the work that I want to be doing. So that's the only thing that I will hopefully bring into my book as far as new clients go. Like, it is so important to do what you love, in my opinion. And something that you don't like doing is somebody else's favorite. So that like brings in the community over competition. Like I would much rather a client, even if they're awesome, go to see somebody that's equally ex- excited about doing their hair as they are having it. <laughs> and that's key too. Like just posting the things that excite you and that you want to do to draw those people in. Like 
you know, I, I feel like times are just so different. Like before I feel like, you know, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here, but like, I feel like it's really good to know how to do everything and be well-rounded, but then like, then find out really like, where is your strengths and just stick with that. And I yeah. feel like it's almost like gone of the days where you have to do everything or offer that, you know? And yes. I think a part of me is like cringing as a salon owner. Cause I'm like, we still have to serve these clients, you know, but <laughs> if it doesn't please the staff, you know, if it's not pleasing to them, then they might go the other way. So, yeah. <laughs> so you, you started out at a salon and then you shifted to a salon suite was, what was that? What did that journey look like for you? I didn't think I ever wanted to be an independent stylist, like taxes and like the business part of it all, like really terrified me. And I was only 21 when I made that jump. So I'd only been at working for a little over two years. So I was really scared. I, it was kind of a moment that pushed me out of the nest. I had searched uh, the other commission salons in my area first before I made the jump and anywhere where I felt like I could see myself wasn't hiring. So it kind of was like the option. I, it was time to move. I was in a toxic salon environment and it was affecting my mental health a lot. So it was best for me to leave. So me and the other girl, Brenna, that opened up the suite, we definitely like were terrified and shared a bit of struggle in the beginning, but it was the right choice for us. And I so urge anybody and everybody that has been curious about Booth Rental to take that jump because we learned so much and became so much stronger through that process. Oh, I mean, the whole thing's a learning curve, right? Yes. I mean, here you are. Yes, I do really good hair, but then like, now you gotta like, know, okay, how much do I need to save for yeah. quarterly taxes? And how do I file my taxes? And how do I budget inventory? I mean, yeah. let's face it. The first few months is a shit show. <laughs> Absolutely. I had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Um, but I think that's pretty cool though, that you had a friend with you, you know, so it's yes. like, you're not alone. Yes. Brenna is like my life partner. We are like attached at the hip outside of the salon too. Like she is my biggest cheerleader. I'm her biggest cheerleader. And like, I can't see doing hair being in a salon without her. Oh, I love that. It's so, it's so cool how, well connected, like the hair community can be, yeah. you know, and it's like, that's where you find like your, your real good friends, right? Yes. Friends for yeah. life. I love that. Can you tell me a little bit about the toxic environment? You, you say a lot about this on social media and I don't know if I ever heard like the story of like, did something happen? Like, what was it that like really turned you off? And yeah, so I think being in a toxic salon environment isn't unique to my situation. I did a poll on Instagram once and 90% of the people that I had answered had been in a toxic salon environment. And then 50% of those people had been in more than one toxic salon environment. So I think it's something that a lot of us can share, obviously. And it's it really is sad. Like, I think a lot of commission salon owners are in it to a point where it's just for money and their burnout has definitely like run them into the ground and they aren't as like 
supportive of their stylists as I think one should be. My story, my boss, she was amazing. When I first started, I got a lot of one-on-one -on -one education with her and things just kind of went south at a certain point and she wasn't showing up to work and wasn't showing up for us. I wasn't getting paid on time. Like things just got really bad and we weren't being treated well in the break room either. Like our break room time was always terrible. So it was just time to leave. Like I was having panic attacks to the point of like passing out almost every morning because I was so anxious about going into work and not knowing what I was going to expect. And for the amount of work that I was doing, I needed to be compensated more because of all the things going on. So we all felt that way. And all of us actually left the salon uh, around the same time, like a couple months apart from each other. And that salon is now owned by somebody else and it's booth rental. And I think they're doing great. <laughs> but yeah. it was definitely like toxic for everybody. And I'm really glad that we are all either in a different path or in a happy salon environment now. Yeah. And the saying goes, everything rises and falls on leadership. And the fact that she wasn't present and giving the same, you know, education experience and being there for the team, it had a trickling effect, I imagine. Yeah. And like a part of me, like as a salon owner now, you're a salon owner too. Yeah. I think that if someone's not careful with their books, then their profits are like squeezed, you know, mm -hmm. and especially like with the closing of some salons and uh, temporary closing and things like that, like they're probably looking at their bottom line, like, what am I doing? I'm working so hard and not making anything. And I wish that there was more open communication and transparency as far as like how much profits are being made, you know, because like here, here's stylists who are bringing in, let's say $5,000 or $10,000, but like a salon owner is probably only profiting maybe 8% of that. Yeah. So it's like people, but like, if they're only getting 40% commission, they're thinking the owner collects all of it and is using that for yeah. whatever. I, I personally feel that like commission totally has its place in the world, but I think it's often a stepping stone or like the ending stone before your career for most people as far as like what you get paid. I totally understand salons that take a certain amount of commission for themselves because owning a booth rental salon, I know that I'm not really profiting too much. Like I'm just kind of providing this space and I in turn get my own space but salon owners can't go into it for the money as far as I'm concerned. Like, so I think before opening a salon, knowing oh, like- they wouldn't do it then. <laughs> oh, right, that's what I'm saying. Like you have to have such a strong like mission with opening a salon. I wanna scream at owners when I hear like other stylists that used to work for them say all these terrible things. Like, why did you open a salon? Like, was it not to create a happy place for people? Like, I can't get it through my brain because it can't be for money if you've seen anybody else's numbers. <laughs> <laughs> It's definitely baffling. My um, husband is into wealth management and like the profit margins there are definitely, you know, salons are expensive. Yeah. It's very little is left at the end of the day after everything that you have to um, pay for. Um, but I, you know, the point of the, the whole conversation here though, is, is that it money or no money, a toxic environment can be so 
physically and mentally like hurtful to people. And it's important that you recognize that and run. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I always say like, not all money is good money. This is just a job. You can get another one. You might feel like you are so vital to the salon, but they can replace you. Like it is not worth it. Get out. <laughs> yeah. What do you, what would you say is like some of the either the mistakes or the toxic, toxic environments that you're seeing that, that you're like, I, why is this happening? What are, what are the things that are like, these are red flags. If you, if you see them, it's, it's time. Yeah. Um, I would say like a lot of gossiping, it, just like stylist to stylist, even not falling on the owner, like a lot of gossiping that doesn't get resolved. Like we all slip up and have like gossip or like talking not as nice about somebody every once in a while, but feeling like that is a venting moment and there is going to be like resolution, I think is like the difference between just kind of shit talking and then actually like following through with it. Like, cause we're all human. We all are going to vent sometimes, but talking to each other with healthy communication at the end of all of that, I think is so important. So red flag, number one, I would say gossiping because that just like sinks the whole ship in my opinion. Um, I've heard many people say that like they felt like money was being stolen from them. Like they weren't getting their tips and stuff. Like obviously you're there to make money. If your money is not ending in your pocket, <laughs> time to get out. I heard a lot about just like the, um, the communication from owners or managers, like being really condescending or not lifting them up and being really harsh. Uh, with my apprentice, I am very like vocal about, ac they're not accidents, they're learning moments, like never feel bad about having an accident or messing up, or if you wanna call it that, I don't even like saying that. Like these are all moments that we can grow from and learn from. Uh, they're discoveries. Yes, discoveries. <laughs> or even just salon owners or managers being really harsh about timing. Like I am a slow stylist for me to do a full highlight with toner, shadow root, Olaplex haircut, the whole shebang. It probably takes me close to four hours. Like, I don't know how some people are cramming these in in two and a half hours sometimes. Like I think that the timing pressure from salon ownership or management is, can even be really toxic because you're not doing your best work at the end of the day. That, that is so true. And I feel like now the services that the clients are asking for are definitely, you know, four to seven hour jobs and multiple appointments. Like it's, it's kind of mind blowing. Like, you know, people used to go in and out of salons constantly. Now it's, now it's, yeah, you've got maybe two clients a day and, yep. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. Cause you can still be greatly profitable with those two clients. If you're charging correctly and, uh, just maximizing that guest experience for them. Yes. And, and you only see a few clients a day too, right? Yeah. I see two to three. Usually if they're not double processes, I can do three in a day, but doing two to three in a day as an independent stylist, like you should still be walking away minimum, like $600 from that one day. Like in my opinion, if they're, um, if you're using Olaplex or some other bond multiplier and taking your time with them and their services over two and a half hours long. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and definitely making sure that you're pricing accordingly. Yes. Um, 
for sure. And that's something that you like to talk about as well, right? With using the Pulp Riot. Yeah, yeah. So I use all Pulp Riot um, for myself and most of the other stylists in my salon do too. Since we're all independent, everybody can use whatever they want, but everybody's ended up using Pulp Riot. <laughs> um, so I use Pulp Riot and Olaplex and I also sell um, Air Professional. My services start at $150 and go anywhere up to eight, 900, depending on what the service is for like color corrections and such. Those are definitely on the higher end, but I try to be really firm with my pricing because I know my worth and I know how much I spend on product at the end of the day for anybody who does their own taxes. Um, like I think last year I spent close to 35 grand on just at salon centric and we were out of work for two months in 2020. So when I see that number, I know I need to be charging my price. Right. I would just charge more. Yeah. And I think also too, like, you know, we've got listeners from all over the world listening to this podcast. And then, you know, you may hear her numbers and say, that's really high, or you might be saying that's lower. And every demographic, every area is going to be different and charging different. So, yeah. you know, just because Meg's charging $900 doesn't mean that that's the right price price for you. Yes. And those are definitely um, like fewer and further between like, that's when somebody comes in with box dye and wants to be silver. And I pretend that I'm Jack white and a hundred dollars an hour. <laughs> oh yes. Oh yes. And I bet those are, those are fun challenges though. Right. Cause you're like, yes. okay, the, hair must, the hair must stay intact. One, two, yes. <laughs> I have enough color. I love those. a good color correction. I don't have a lot of room on my books for them, but when I do a color correction, I try to do it on a day where nobody's in the salon and I just get in my zone and there, I love the, a good challenge again, back to naked hair with blonding, like blending somebody's box dye into silver. Like that is such a fun, hard challenge. <laughs> and the gratification of the results is just like, wow. Not yes. only are you transforming the hair, you probably transformed that person's life. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to talk about your experience as a suite owner and partner um, that you had. What, what was that experience like for you? Yeah. Um, we have always just been like the dynamic duo kind of. So it was really fun. We had two suites at Salons by JC in Cincinnati and we knocked a wall down or our our lovely landlord, Greg did, he was the best. And so we had one side was kind of our waiting area, mixing area. We had a sink for washing dishes and like our little mini fridge and booze. And then the second side had our shampoo bowl and like both of our stations were right next to each other. But it was definitely a learning experience. Like we went into it thinking that we wanted everything together. Like we tried sharing a color bar. We tried sharing product uh, at the back bar or for retail and stuff. And that didn't end up really working out for us. So we had a lot of like change in the first year that we were there. Like we ended up separating our color bar and having separate retail, but still working together as a team. It like very much felt like a little mini salon. And we got really close with a lot of our clients being in that small room. It was about 200 square feet with both put together. <laughs> oh my gosh. I think that was like one of my biggest fears when I moved from a very large salon into a suite. I'm like, I got to spend alone time with a client yeah. and like, 
I was scared. I was really nervous about it. I was like, I'm keeping the door open. The music is going to be on. I was, I was very nervous about that. I know it sounds so weird, but this is like the part of me where I'm introverted. Sometimes it was very nice being able to work together in there so that it wasn't silent very often. Like, I'm just going to talk to my stylist right now. Oh yeah. So, okay. So what, what would like, we would have like six of us in there at a time. Oh my. And then wait, then it's like way too loud. Yes. Um, so what were like the specific learning curves that it sounded like, okay, the, you couldn't split everything. Um, just kind of figuring out where everything belonged. What were some other things that were like, you're glad that you learned from that being in that environment? Um, I wish that I would have made a business plan. I feel like, but we before moving in, I feel like that would have really helped me see what money was going to look like, what, how much money I needed to save and um, just like overall what expenses were going to look like. I had no idea. I was just swiping my card left and right, whatever I felt like I was supposed to do. So having something like more concrete and organized, I feel like would have really helped me. It definitely helped me when we did our business plan for opening and renovating the salon. So that was definitely something that I learned sadly at the end of it when I was um, moving locations, but that was a big one. Another one, I didn't have a business bank account set up. I didn't know what all that really meant. I wish I would have made a business bank account before even signing the lease to that suite because that helps with taxes so much to have that all separated. I wish that I would have had an LLC because I didn't realize self-employment taxes uh, go down a lot when you have an LLC, at least in Ohio. <laughs> and those are $90 uh, if you go and file it yourself at the Secretary of State's website. <laughs> I also wish I would have had interviewed CPAs to find one that I really liked in the beginning of it. I love my CPA now, but I shuffled through a couple that I didn't love, didn't feel like I could ask questions with and ended up like my taxes were wrong for a while. And so find an awesome CPA that you know somebody has gone to. <laughs> 100%. And those are all the things that like, we really don't learn that in beauty school no. and it's, it, it's a hard learn too, because like, here you are, you know, I can formulate anything I can form, do here in my sleep, you know, and then that it doesn't matter at the end of the day, if you're yep. good at that and you suck at the business part, because yep. then all your, your profits are drained and there's no money at the end of the day and you don't have any money left to invest yep. in your business again. Yep. And this is why businesses fail. Yep. Yeah. I think that these things aren't taught in beauty schools, especially with ones that are like Aveda or Paul Mitchell or whatever, because they want you to be in a Paul Mitchell or Aveda salon and be making them money, be making them commission. It doesn't benefit them for us to be independent and learn all of these things. So with expanding my salon and having a training program, year one is going to be about doing hair and year two is going to be about business, like how to be an independent stylist so that they all can leave the nest, hopefully at the end of that two years and feel confident in themselves starting a business. So when you transition from your suite into the salon that you're at now, did you have this vision for a while that you wanted to open up something bigger? No, 
<laughs> I never wanted to be independent and I for sure never wanted to be a, a salon owner, especially with my first experience. I have just always been so terrified into of turning into somebody like my old boss or what everybody else talks about as their old boss. Like that's just how I saw salon owners. I hadn't seen a salon owner that had a happy group of people behind them. So I never wanted to even dip my toes in that. So I have a cousin that is a businessman and he had come into town once for dinner with me and my, my partner, Brandon. And he was like, why don't you have a salon? You're spending blah, blah, blah on your suite every week. And you don't even have a window. Like, this is silly. Like, you're going to call me and we're going to get a salon situated for you. So I was like, okay, that sounds good. I have him in my corner. So I know that he can guide me along the way. So he helped me with my business plan and making sure I had like my budget and everything figured out and helped me get a loan and like all this stuff to open the salon. And I was like, okay, but I'm doing booth rental because I really don't want to be a boss to anybody. <laughs> I was just terrified of it. So this expansion, I, I've always had this like huge uh, spot in my heart for like these wounded stylists that have been in such terrible commission salons. And I didn't realize until the space next door to me became available that like, that's what I want to be doing. I can change somebody's experience coming into the salon world and maybe they won't stop being a stylist, you know, in their first two to three years. Like I feel like so many people that we went to beauty school with did and, and I can make them strong independent stylists to own their own business and do the same thing as me. I don't want to gatekeep anything like knowledge is for everybody if you ask and that just feels like my new mission moving forward that I want to give a baby stylist a good experience. So you're knocking down the wall mm -hmm. expanding the salon so you'll keep your booth rental but then you're going to also have another side yeah where you are getting students out of beauty school and training them? Yep. So we have one suite for a microblader and then there are six booth rental spots and those booth rental stations will only ever be booth rental stations. And then we kind of will have like a commission hourly, like new stylist Island of double-sided stations where that wall currently is. So they'll be in the middle and then the booth rental spots will kind of surround them. So it'll still feel like a team environment. I don't ever want it to feel separated. There's not one stylist that's better than the next. And I think that all of our booth rental stylists too are excited to like educate and help the new baby stylists grow. I think that's cool because, <clears throat> you know, I think that when you're a booth rental, um, you know, it sounds like you guys are all friends and all pretty close. Yeah. Um, but like, if there was somebody new that was renting, you know, they might get to a point. And I hear this a lot on clubhouse conversations where the, the person's like, well, what else? I don't want a salon because I don't want employees, but yet I'm maxed out where I'm at. I'm maxed out on the station. So what's next? Yeah. And that could be such a great next career move of, you can still do hair, but now maybe here's some you know, um, income or an extra opportunity where you can start educating, educating yeah. somebody else, yeah, so, utilizing them yeah. as an assistant. Right. Yeah. Everybody that is booth runner in my salon had a suite before becoming a booth runner. I think having a suite is like, 
it's such a learning opportunity, like being on your own and like being forced to do things by yourself and like do the, all the business stuff and education, like all of it being on you. Like I actually recommend commission stylists that are wanting to go independent to be in a suite first. Um, so all of us having been in a suite, like we already kind of had that stuff, but missed the community of a salon. And we're all scared of being in a salon again because of the like bad environments we had been in. So it really was like special for us to all come back together. My salon name is Olive and Ivy and Ivy in the salon name, um, Ivy can grow even in the hardest places. So that's where that part comes from. Like all of us had been in a really hard place, but being in our suites or being independent, we grew a lot and now we're all growing together. Oh, I have goosebumps. That's amazing. And I think a lot of people, like, I know for sure, like when I went into a salon suite, I was like, I miss my community. Like, where are my people? I don't want to be in this room alone with a client. <laughs> like I, I just like needed to like be surrounded by hairdressers, yes. right? There's something about us that like, you got to be in the, the fun crowd. And yes. um, I think that's beautiful that you're creating that. Um, when is your goal to expand um, out your salon? Um, we should have a career fair sometime in December, and then we will start the first full week of January with all those people. So renovation should be comp complete, like beginning to mid-December, which feels really scary. <laughs> it's going to be incredible. And I love, I love the business concept because it's blended. There's a growth path, which I think, you know, these stylists coming out of school, you know, I hear some of them who will start salon suites right away. And I think that is incredible. And it's really not for everybody because there's just so much to learn and grow from other people that have been there, done that. Um, so this is such a great opportunity that you're going to be giving um, the new stylists and stylists that have been been doing this for a long time on themselves. I love that. What, what kind of advice would you um, give to um, somebody who's thinking about shifting to like booth rental or salon suite? If you're thinking about it, do it. <laughs> I think it's <laughs> it. if you're worried about money, like I, I think I made what I made in two weeks and the first four days of being in the suite. And like I mean, that's without like the taxes and the product and your rent and whatever. But like, if I can make that in four days, my two week amount of money is definitely going to like be way more profit than I was making in a salon. Like absolutely do it. I, uh, something that I try to do on a regular basis to rationalize my anxiety is what is the worst thing that could happen? Okay, so you wanna open a suite. What's the worst thing that can happen? You don't have enough clients. Cool, you go back to a commission salon. It's, and then you build from there. Like the worst thing that can happen isn't that bad. <laughs> I totally support people wanting to go independent. Yeah, when you, especially when you look at that, like at the end of the day, you know, it is, it's a job, it's a career. It doesn't have to define you. It doesn't yeah. have to mean it's your whole life. Yes. Just make, just make the damn decision. <laughs> thinking about it, um, it anything unknown is scary <laughs> um let's talk real quick too about um social media you are like all over the place it's incredible <laughs> Thank any you. advice and tips on how to get front and center of your target market yeah so 
I think the number one thing is it's social media, be social on there, like interact with other uh, hairstylists, the brands that you want to repost you like it, you're nobody's going to see you if you don't see them either. And being active and consistent, like on your stories on Instagram, like that's where I have the most interaction, like posting polls and having the questions, showing your face on there, like talking on there. Also, like anybody can do hair anymore. Like everybody can do hair. What's going to bring somebody into your chair or bring them to your class that you're teaching? Like they want to see you. They want to see your personality. Like anybody can do a balayage anymore. So posting yourself and your personality helps so, so much have people feel connected to you. I, and I love how like on social media, you, you're just you, you're, you <laughs> just show up constantly. You're very consistent with that, with your attitude, with your why, with who you're speaking to. I love that. Thank now you. you've got, um, some really cool fashion <laughs> things on your Instagram too. Very entertaining. I love it. It's very fun. You are very fashionable, which we're in the beauty and fashion industry. And I think that it's so important to continue to show up. I know that there was a lot of people that mentioned things about like not liking dress code or whatnot. Yes. I don't know what their dress code is, but like, I mean, don't you think that we should be showing up, like just looking the part, like you need to look like a hairdresser. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So like, we don't have a dress code in my salon other than sweatpants Saturday. It's necessary. <laughs> so we all wear sweatpants oh, or Lord. matching sets on Saturdays, but like we wear like street style stuff to work still. Like if we're wearing biker shorts or like a matching set or whatever throughout the week, like we still look put together and like not like you rolled right out of bed but i think expressing yourself through your clothes is so important and i'm a plus size woman and so like fashion for me like is literally a hobby because it's so hard to find cool plus size clothing so it's something that i definitely like like to share because it's hard for me to find stuff and i really like watching other plus size people post where they find their outfits and how it's going to sit on them because they're not necessarily made for people who are shaped like me, like they, I feel like a lot of companies half-ass their clothing for their plus size people. So I really like sharing what I find and I like watching things too, to help me find stuff. You're just so cute. I love it. And I feel like you, you know, like how, how to dress uh, and like look the part. And I just, I, I think that is just incredible and, and that you're sharing that with other people. Cause I think a lot of people you know, maybe they either don't have fashion sense or how to dress their body. Yeah. No, so I think that is just really cool that you're, you're showcasing that. Cause you're like, look, this, this looks awesome. And it's just adorable. I love it. Thank you so much. Um, you guys, Meg is amazing. And guess what? <laughs> you could have coffee with Meg virtually. And so <laughs> Meg, <laughs> tell our listeners how they can um, get some one-on-one -on -one mentorship with you. Yeah. So I, when, once I started doing well on Instagram and TikTok or whatever, I was getting a lot of DMs asking for advice. And I 
I love to like connect with other hairdressers. So I decided to switch it from being in my DMs to being a more personal, like one-on-one -on -one connection with somebody through Zoom. So I do our Zoom calls and you don't even necessarily have to be a hairdresser, but my Zoom calls go over, we can talk about social media, we can talk about branding, we could talk about your price menu if you're looking to change it or have me critique it. I love talking about formulas, like these calls can be anything you need them to be, but it's just so that I have a more one-on-one -on -one connection with people. I think that's incredible. And you can do all of that one-on-one -on -one with Meg for 75? Yep, yep, it's $75 for an hour Zoom call. It's a great date. So guys, I will put a link in the show notes so you guys can get in touch with Meg. She also has a class coming up on October 11th in Newport, Kentucky, um, a pulp riot class. So make sure to follow uh, Hair on Instagram. So you guys can make sure to keep in touch with her, learn from her and just be entertained by her because she is just <laughs> super fun. She's super funny. She's uh, such an asset to our industry. Meg, thank you so much for being on the Beauty Business Game Changer podcast. We thank yes. you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. A fun first experience. <laughs> Yay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Hey friends. Thanks for being a part of the beauty business game changer podcast. If you liked this episode, make sure to subscribe. And if you love this podcast, I would so appreciate to get a review from you. And there's more ways that we can connect as well. Send me a voice message and tell me where you're at in your business and how I can help you through this podcast. Thanks so much for being a part of this. And until next time, you can be the game changer.